Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of SOB. Yes, that does stand for son of a bitch, and I am the bitch. And Shan- I am the son. My goodness. Could you let me say my name? I'm Shannon Livingston. Well, everyone knows your name. They don't. I'm trying to push it out there, but, you know, don't cut me off. So, again, I am Shannon Livingston, and you are? My name is Joseph. Joseph, please cooperate. What is your full name? I'm Joe Labosco. I'm the son and son of a bitch. Okay, so part of the reason of why you are such a problem is that you were raised around mobsters That's and right. bookies and other people. And our last episode, episode two, was Mobsters and Morals Part One. Uh, we started talking about Carl DeLuna in Kansas City and how he would drive you to second grade in my bathrobe, which was. Something to see. From the Ritz-Carlton. The, bath, the bathrobe was from the Ritz-Carlton. We didn't live in the Ritz-Carlton. No, not yet. No, we were uh, hidden out in Olathe, Kansas, where nobody knew who Carl was. But So then we started talking about your best friend, who was a retired bookie, uh, a guy named Hobo, for everyone that knew him, Frank Cassiopo. He's passed away, so we get to actually use his real name as well. So today we are going to have Mobsters and Morals Part 2. And we're going to talk primarily about Hobo. So what do you remember about Hobo? Who was he? He was a goofy old man. Who <laughs> what do you mean goofy? Liked to have fun. I mean, you know, he didn't, at least in the time that I knew him, he didn't really take anything too seriously. He was just kind of there to be entertained and crack jokes and tell stories. And, you know, he was just having fun. Like, like I said last time, who these people were before... We came into the picture. I, you know, was not aware or interested or thinking about at the time. They were just old men who gave me food and paid for stuff. Yeah, you wanted pie. Yeah. Which I can't blame you. I still want pie. So we were talking earlier about how you don't really remember meeting Hobo or how that, that whole thing happened. Mm-mm. And I was explaining to you that there was a lower level guy that, in fact, some of the higher level guys in Kansas City would kind of give me the side eye and give me that like birds of a feather thing. Like, why why are you hanging out with this guy? You know that he's lower level and, and bad news. Because um, he was older, so he didn't, you know, accelerate. He was held down because of who he was and his, his behavior. So we'll call him Poochie. <laughs> Which makes Joe laugh. But I have to, he's still alive. And, you know, his real street name is not any better. It's actually worse. So Poochie um, was very entertaining to me. And really, I liked hanging out with him because he would teach me the street scams. Like, he and the Greek um, would go into strip clubs, and they would come out with more money than what they went in with. They would, like, scam these girls. And I was running clubs, and so it was very helpful for me to learn what they were doing. They, they weren't doing that in my clubs, but it was helpful to see what these guys were doing to con some of the less bright girls out of their money. So anyway, Poochie says, 
there's this guy, Hobo, you have to meet this guy. And I said, I'm not interested in anybody <laughs> named Hobo, thank you so much. And he said, no, no, it's this old retired bookie, and he's really, he's funny, and um, you know, and he smokes weed, and he's looking for somebody to, oh, to buy right. from. About that. So that was one of the, the first reasons. And so that's really kind of why I thought that, that I was going over there. Now, a couple days, you know, a couple of visits later, I realized that uh, Poochie had alternative or um, ulterior motives, and alternative motives, and he he thought that Hobo had money stashed after coming off the streets as a bookie, and Hobo was kind of starting to lose it a little bit, which is why he was taken off the streets, and uh, so he thought there was money stashed, and he thought that I was going to get to know this guy and figure out where the money was and tell him. Which, if you knew Hobo for 10 minutes, you could clearly tell there was no... Big stash of cash but hiding anywhere. But you thought that there was a stash that was that was hidden that he had forgotten about. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you know the one of the first flaws in this plan was Pucci never offered to even cut me in. He didn't even <laughs> tell me what the deal was. I had to figure it out on my own. He just you know took me over there and do this errand that you don't know why for and no reason. Introduce me. So. This guy was, he was a character. There's really not a great way to describe him. He was about 5'4", and he wore these old shoes from the 70s that he kept having resold because they were expensive, and he had them, they had heels in them that were kind of hidden, and so he looked a little bit taller, and those were the only shoes that that he wore. But his family, he had cousins, he had um, his brother, but everybody was older, had their own family, and he didn't have any kids. He had never been married. Thank God. Yeah, he was uh, <laughs> He was actually thrown out of his best friend's strip club because one of the girls came up and pinched his butt behind him, and he turned around and knocked her out. So he got banned from being in there. Yeah, you that'll can laugh do it. Him. We're, we're in 239 Studios. I got so excited to talk about uh, Hobo, I forgot all about introducing poor Tim. And I did that last time, too. I was like, oh, yeah, side note, owner of the studio, producer, guy making it happen, forgot about you. Okay, so. Tim Jared, how are you down there? We just love being here. This is great. I'm just listening and enjoying myself. Big uh, thanks right, to Tim yeah. and everyone involved. Thanks, Joe. And thank you, Sean, lurching in the side there, taking some pictures to share. Uh, the studio has really, really come a long way. We've got a lot of technology in here, but I'm not going to get distracted by that. We're going to go back to Hope. All right, yeah, so let's get back on track here. You know this story. I remember bits and pieces of it, but how and why did he acquire the name Hobo? Hobo was born in 1928. And by the time he was four or five years old, he was on the street every day hustling. And so everybody called him Hobo, including his mother. And when he went to school, the teacher said, that is disrespectful. Your name is Frank, and I'm going to call you Frank. And he thought that was disrespectful. Because when you were little, you thought it was rude to call this nice old man Hobo. You mm -hmm. didn't want to call him that. And he didn't call you Joe. What did he call you? Little Frankie. Little Frankie. Because Poochie introduced you as Frankie Jr. We were 70-something uh, <laughs> 66 years apart. 66 years apart. Yeah. And Hobo would say, oh, this is my best friend about me. But then he would introduce me as Shauna. This is my best friend, Shauna. And then when he would talk to me, he would say, Shauna, you long-legged witch. Never and once did he get her name right. But I, no. was, I was always Little Frankie. Little Frankie and Shauna, the long-legged witch. Um, and so Hobo was born in the 20s, which put him into Vegas in a very interesting time. 
And there was a story that I like to share about Hobo and Betty Grable that uh, you're already laughing about, Joe, because you you know what it is. Oh, I've heard this story plenty of times. Go ahead. Do you even know who Betty Grable is? I do. Most people my age don't. But yeah, right. she was an old movie star, media personality. She was a pinup Sex star. symbol, yeah. And her legs were so famous that they were insured by um, Lloyd's of London Insurance. Mm-hmm. And so it was a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. that was a big publicity thing, right? That her, her legs were so good they had to be insured for millions of dollars or a million dollars or whatever it was at the time. So she was very well known for being attractive. She did not have good taste in men. And her current, What a surprise. I know. It's a curse for us. We, I, I don't know what to tell you. So she was in Vegas with her current husband, and Hobo and the current husband had a mutual friend. And so Hobo thought, oh, this is my ticket in. I, I can you know, go over there and say hello and introduce myself, which he did. So he said, oh, hello, I'm, I'm Hobo from Kansas City or whatever he said. I'm sure it wasn't smooth. And, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm a friend of Turks. And so she said, oh, yeah? Well, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> He instantly said, oh, yeah, will you go fuck yourself, lady? (laughs) And they got into this whole thing. And it turns out that the guy that he thought was going to be his ticket in was the guy that had been setting up her husband with girls on the side. And Ah. they've been currently fighting about it. And so here he walks over, you know. Reopens the wound. Yeah, she didn't like that. So that was one of my favorite stories about him. And then also one time in Vegas, he knew the Rat Pack. And one of his best friends in Kansas City the club that he got thrown out of, mm-hmm. that gentleman who's still alive, we won't say his name, but uh, he was was very close to Sammy Davis Jr. So they spent a lot of time in Vegas and around the Fairly right progressive for the time. Um, yeah, I guess so. Being friends with I don't, the black one. I don't really uh, think about that, but, you know, I don't know how they treated him either mm-hmm. or what jokes were told after he oh, got I'm up from sure the table. There were plenty. That's another podcast. Yeah, we'll episode. get there later. Anyway. That's another issue. So, so his phone rings. Hobo's in his hotel room and it's, you know, three, four in the morning. His phone rings and it's his friend and he says, Hey, I'm down in the bar and, and Frankie's here and Sammy's here and everybody's here. Come on down. So he went down and they started having drinks and having a good time and all of a sudden this he called her six foot blonde you know she could have been five six and it would have felt like six feet to with hobo. Heels on. yeah he probably had his heels on she had her heels on so this this hooker comes to the table and is uh you know being sweet to everyone and he gets up to go to the bathroom and he comes back and everybody's gone but the girl and the bill <laughs> so they invited him to come down and stuck him with the bill and the girl and she said yeah they said you would pay me too so he was very upset about that. And that was the last time that he hung out with the Rat Pack, I, I think. I would find it hard to listen to that music after that, for sure. In Vegas. Well, he still loved it. That's all they played. Of and did. I used to put it on in the car when I would take him to his doctor appointments. And then we would go to the zoo or to get ice cream. And I would put both of you in the back of the car, put on a little Frank Sinatra oh, or great. Dean Martin. And, yeah, you guys were both quiet. You had a great time. And for those of you who've never been there, the Kansas City Zoo is huge you can walk around all day there's peacocks everywhere that'll uh, steal your snacks and chase you around especially when you're a small child or an old man 
Uh, although when we went to the zoo, he was usually in a wheelchair because he couldn't. Uh, yeah, I had to throw him in a far. chair and push him around. And then when he got loopy with me, I stopped him under that water feature. Remember that? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he improved his attitude right away. So he was uh, he was a sweet guy to us, but there was that time that he did flip out. We were late to breakfast. I remember that, yeah. and that really reminded me that this had been a violent man. This had been a man that uh, did knock out people as soon as they I mean, answered yeah, the door, so that he could rob them. Or had these reputations for a reason, but uh, you know, like I said, I never, yeah, aside from little glimpses when they would get upset, which didn't happen often. I mean, I only remember seeing him like that just that once. Well, but. and then after he declined, they checked him into a not nice nursing home. Yeah, I remember that. And I went to visit him and took him um, a little radio, I think with some cassettes at the time. Maybe there were CDs, I don't remember. but And I think a poster, too. And his bed was on the floor. I remember that because he was a, a fall risk, and it was such a low-budget place. They were like, oh, we'll just throw this old guy on the floor. He doesn't have any family. And every time I would show up, he'd say, oh, Shauna, you're my best friend. Let's go outside and smoke. You got any cigarettes? You going to bust me out of here? And then um, he stopped recognizing me, and it upset him when I, I would go visit. And he didn't last much longer than that. But I would ask the other guys if they had seen him or if they would go visit. And they said, no, we don't do that. Like, there's no retirement plan. Once you're out, you're out. Long-term care plan, yeah, with the the mob. And I don't think he was the connected guy. I think his brother was. In fact, one time he was chased down and arrested after a months-long undercover investigation because they thought he was Chucky. (laughs) (laughs) They they wrestled him down to the ground. They said, we got you now, Chucky. He's like, yeah, yeah, you got me. I've heard this before. (laughs) Because he was not Chucky. He had a lot of stories. He was, uh, you know, he was a, a fun guy for a child who didn't connect well to other children, which was another part of the, the thing that I think, you know, kind of worked out in my favor because I wasn't getting along very well with other kids, but these yeah. old criminals seemed to love spending time with me and, you know. He had some vascular dementia, but, but he innocence. really did enjoy you. Uh, and I think, you know, enjoyed the, the outings that we had. And he was your only friend when you were nine, ten years old. I was younger than that. I looked it up, and he passed away in 2004. So do you remember his funeral? Yes. And what do you remember about it? I remember a few things. I remember uh, there was a typo on his headstone, and I was the only person who noticed. Well, I think it's a, a misspelling <clears throat> when it's on, uh, and it was on the actual casket, not the headstone. Because we were, they were going to lower the casket in, and you said, oh, they misspelled his name. That's right, yeah. So it, his name was Cassiopo, which was C-A-C-I-O-P-P-O. And where there was supposed to be an I, they put an L. As he's being laid to rest, I, at, you know, Just boils whatever, it for everyone, nine years it's old. It's wrong, it's wrong, everyone. <laughs> you know, and it was a Catholic funeral, so, of course, there's all these old ladies did, sobbing and losing control. Did you, like, yell it out that, hey, I it's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> kids, don't have a, kids don't have a filter, so I was just like, hey, they, that's wrong. And like, he was the only kid there. There were, there were a bunch of the really older 
older, older mobsters. It was not a, not a group for uh, children. Yeah, but, but really no one younger. And then we went out after to Casconi's, which is a, a Which was restaurant. a breakfast place that we would often go to with Hobo, yeah. and it was one of his favorite places in town. And so around the table, we probably had eight different gentlemen, and at the head of the table was Tony Ripe who was the head of the the mob at the time mm-hmm. in Kansas City. And uh, Carl's brother-in-law, so it was Carl, Tony Ripe, the guys that burned down uh, the Hereford house that we talked about. <laughs> this was before that, two. but yeah. yeah. So they were all at the table, which, you know, I'm not glad that they got caught, but the one was giving me the side eye the whole time at this breakfast. And so look at karma, look at where he is now. Anyway, so we eat, and Joe is eating his food and eating my food and eating Carl's food. I've always had a, a big appetite, and Carl, especially as a small child. And everybody's ready to go, and these guys are getting ready to go to a meeting. A guy had come over and said, hey, Tony, it's time to go. And so they're standing up, and they're, they're trying to put their coats on, and I think Carl says, oh, are, did you have enough to eat, or do you want some pie? And Joe says, oh, they have pie? <laughs> So Tony, Tony says, everyone sit, everyone sit, the kid's going to have pie. And I was like, Joe, no, because, you know, I understand what's going on. Right. They're all, like, all of them are together. They're all going to some meeting. Gearing up for some sort of mob war. Yeah, I don't want to ask any questions, but my kid wants pie. So they all sat there while he ate pie. Joe's delaying the inevitable. Oh, my God. I well, thought did, they were going to, like, Didn't take a few me of them, like, start complaining? And he. One like, of them complained, and that's the one that I'm saying. He, he's in jail now for burning down the Hereford house. Okay, And right. he got busted because he smelled like gasoline, and he was mean to his lady friend. <laughs> well, yeah, and the it. lady was like, oh, yeah, well, he smelled like gasoline when he came home on that night. And, you know, bam, they're in prison. And I had my slice of pie. So should have just enjoyed that pie, but instead... You wanted to be a dick. I did enjoy the pie. He didn't get any pie. I got pie. I, well, pie makes the world go round. Damn straight. So what else do you remember about Hobo? I remember a lot about Hobo. I remember he always had this uh, joke that I still don't understand that he would tell every time we went out. And he, it wasn't so much a joke as he would just start it off as a, as a question of, do you know what happened to the boy who ate the apple with the peel? And the answer was always, he shit his pants. <laughs> but he said, in Italian, it's, and he would say it in Italian. Right, yeah, he would Italian, and it was very, you know, And he would laugh. I think it was something that was said to him by yeah, his, yeah. When he didn't get out a lot, he liked to watch Westerns on his old console TV. And I would kind of come over and make sure that his, yeah. his sheets were clean. So, yeah, that, that was something I was always fascinated with, was he had this little apartment that smelled like old people, and... <laughs> Just one old person. And he had this TV that had to be from the 70s, maybe the 80s, but it was... The 80s still feels like 15 years ago to me, so... God, you're old. Anyway. Hey, now. He had this old TV. I look good, and some of my parts are pretty new. With the rabbit ears and the knobs on it, and I was just fascinated by this thing. So we would watch old westerns like, uh, you know, Rio Bravo and Butch Cassidy and... Which I couldn't stand. I would just drop them off. And I still remember the time that Blackbeard's Ghost came on and they had that casino scene where everything's moving on its own and I was just fascinated by that. And he always had orange sherbet in the fridge. I do not know, in the freezer. I don't know why, but that was like his favorite he liked it. dessert. And so every and time we would go over food. there, 
Well, of course he had braces. He's old. That's what old men do. I had to take it away from him so he wouldn't poison himself. And the sherbet thing is kind of like, you know, us old people. It, it, I love sherbet. It goes down well, easy. and Joe didn't really have traditional relationships with his grandparents. And so, you know, this was his only friend. And yeah. this was kind of a surrogate grandparent. And I wanted him to see that we don't discard people. That's good. Even when they smell bad and they are trying to eat rotten food and they're, you know, t- coming after you with a knife and a diner. Yeah. We don't get rid of them. <laughs> They've done horrible things their entire life. We put on a little Frank Sinatra, take uh, care of them until they die. Hobo was also a veteran. <clears throat> yeah. He, he joined up at 15. Wow. Saw the world. So, one, yeah, you can't do that anymore. But at the time, they, I got, you know, they needed the people. They didn't really care. Well, they uh, didn't have computers, so it was easy. Right, to yeah, and they didn't, they couldn't track you. So, yeah, he joined the Navy at 15, I believe it was 15 years old. So what, what's the biggest thing that you learned about Hobo? About Hobo? No, from Hobo. Uh, well, I mean, he would always give me good advice about what I was to do with my life. Like? Like, you know, stay in school. Interviewing you is like pulling teeth. <laughs> like, I'm looking right at you, like, just. Stay in school, listen to your mother, do your homework, stay out of trouble, be nice. Yeah, I learned more lessons from Carl. From Hobo, I just kind of... Hobo was a mess. Hobo, I just kind of learned, I need to be able to take care of myself or I'm going to wind up like (laughs) this old man. I better get married. (laughs) Just threw that in there. Take care of yourself. Hobo wasn't really there to give me advice. He was there to have fun. Yeah, he was more of a playmate. Yeah, and we did have a lot of fun. We did, uh, you know, all sorts of things together. There's a lot of beautiful parks in Kansas City, and so we would just go around and hang out, and it's not so damn hot like it is down here. Um. He also loved food. There were quite a few different places we would always go to eat with Hobo. There was Cascone's where we'd go for breakfast. There was the Hayesburger stand, which is still there. He went to all the local places um, and the places that his friends yeah. and relatives And owned. most of them were very cheap, which is one of my favorite things about food yeah. in Kansas City. Because he always wanted to pay, and he was on a fixed income. So I would have to slip money into his like dresser drawer so that he would think that he had more money than he did because he wanted to pay out in public. He wanted to, to be the man. Yeah. We would go to Anthony's, which I've been to more times than I can count. and have. Yeah, I don't care about all this, and now I'm getting hungry. Okay, Is well, there yes, any... what do I remember? I remember food. But about him and something poignant, about not him. all the little dives that we used to eat in. <laughs> he... Who gives a shit? <laughs> Are you ready to wrap it up? Yeah, you know, he had uh, an interesting personality. You know, people, I think, underestimated him because he was this little old man, but he had a lot of uh, spark. He did have a lot of spunk to him, and we knew him after he was on the decline. And he was still just, uh, there was a sweet little soul in there. I, I knew he Also would, a smart ass. Yeah, I knew he would stab me if I, um, you know, got out of line, but uh, he, I never got out of line. We didn't have a problem, and mm-hmm. He he was just a, a reminder, I think, of a different day. You know, for me, like, he would say things like, jam up, which meant for real. Like, oh, you know, are, are we going to breakfast? Jam up? And I would say, jam up? Like, what the hell does that mean? So I would learn all these, like, yeah, old-fashioned... Something he heard from his immigrant yeah. parents. And and he would tell stories where, where Carl didn't. Like, not about, you know, specific jobs or whatever, but he, he would talk about the old days, which was interesting. So I've had a lot of fun talking about uh, Hobo today and the old days. You didn't really contribute much. (laughs) I think I gave him some semblance of hope. I think I reminded him of what his life could have been 
had he not, you know, gone he, down the wrong path. Had he not been a hobo right. by the time he was four years old. Uh, you know, which some of which wasn't his fault. I mean, based on when he was born, that was right before the Depression. Everything went to hell. And, he was on the streets hustling. You know, that, that's what people don't understand, I think, about most of these people, at least the older generations. They didn't get into that life because it was glamorous and they wanted to, you know, sell guns and drugs. They <laughs> were destitute and needed the money. Mm-hmm. And when you're Italian, that's just kind of how you survive. Yeah, and Italians were not treated well at that no. point in our society. You're we're, treated like gold now. Yeah. <laughs> where 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 were the Italians in Kansas City? I mean, as far as on the, the if north you had part. if you had like a but if you had like a totem pole. Uh, yeah. Were they like mobs? They were at the top. They were at the top. So basically, you got the top, but were the numbers strong when they're a so lot? they they were at the very top because they did they were all related by blood or marriage and so they all really cared about each other nobody flipped they all worked together um, they they had a lot of honor to them yeah. internally and I think that that helped things continue the way that they did. And Kansas City, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm they were not people you. They weren't people you should trust as an outsider. But if you were in the group, you, you, you were knew in the rules. Right. And yeah. 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 And uh, there was just something about um, I don't know something about that generation because all of them were a lot older too. So you're talking about these guys that they grew up together, they survived together. You know, their sister was married to to that guy and. Um, they all they all just kind of made it work, and they were very smart about business, and so they weren't the the typical you know go out and beat people up. I mean the lower level people, sure, but the you know people like Carl, they were about numbers, and so they were about making money through different businesses, and I think that kept them going for a long time as well. And they knew how to cut people in. They were in the center. So they knew, you know, hey, Milwaukee gets their cut and, uh, you know, whoever I mean, else. they stayed ahead of the FBI for a long time, so they must have had some idea what they were doing. And they weren't flashy. Yeah, right. That's the problem with the people who have since taken over is they watch too much TV and they think, oh, you know, there's a scene in, in uh, I think it's Casino, or maybe, maybe it's Goodfellas, where the guy shows up. And uh, with the brand new, the pink car. No, that's good, fellas. That, okay, yeah. He shows up with the pink car, and his wife's got the new coat on, and After De Niro's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Like, they, you're, you're made right there. Right. Everybody knows. Yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, so they definitely took a different approach. And then, like, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, when crack came to town, then the street gangs started popping up in different parts of the city, and that's... Kind of where we're at now is there's a, a mix of but they also went different online. kinds of crime. Online gambling. Yeah, online gambling is still very big and with the, those guys. And you know, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that people have been busted for it is now becoming legalized, like yeah. online gambling. So as mm-hmm. long as the government gets their cut, then that's okay. And but I know people weed. that have done, you know, 10, 20, 30 years for the same things. Yeah. Something to think about. When it wasn't legal. Well, hopefully we see legalization of a lot of these things because, uh, as we'll get into in another episode, hopefully, I do believe that the war on drugs is a war on people. And it allows things like organized crime. You know, organized crime really 
proliferated in the prohibition of alcohol, and that's when it became organized, and they got all of their money and their strength. So we should probably learn a lesson from that. I mean, in order to sell off your supply, there has to be a demand. Well, we're always going to have a demand. We're human. Exactly, but that's the point. Which means is, we're awful. You know, you're not going to get rid of people's desire to want drugs and alcohol, and yet they tried it with the prohibition, and that uh, you know did not work and caused a lot more violence than they already had. So I know you can't regulate vice. And speaking of vice, I'm going to go uh, partake in some and wrap up this episode. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. We hope that you're enjoying it. I guess if, if you're not enjoying it, you can take Hobo's advice to Betty Grable and go fuck yourself. Yeah, keep your criticisms to yourself. You want to take it out, Joe? That means say goodbye. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, you know, yeah, I certainly enjoyed talking about Hobo. He was one of my good friends and still is wherever he is, whether that's up north or down south, depending on <laughs> the opinion of who makes those decisions. He was Catholic, I think, right? So he mm-hmm. had to be Catholic. So, yeah. St. Peter, just, whatever like, you decided do to do. Yeah, you throw your rosary okay, around. Say goodbye. Good. Say goodbye. Goodbye, peace and love, and may the fourth be with you. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.